With the first pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New Orleans Pelicans select Zion Williamson from Duke University. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the start of our winless season and the Pelly Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Roger. With me today is Jonathan Palazzolo and Tyler and I. How are you guys feeling about this 0-3 start? And obviously not where we want to be, right? Dude, I'm supposed to be lesson planning for my algebra class right now. And I don't know what makes me more depressed. Uh, that or thinking about my Pelicans this week. Hey, I, I'm not depressed here. I got some positive things to talk about. I mean, I'm going to shit on a couple people, but let's get it going. Yeah, so this week we had, uh, by the way, um, over the past week we picked about what the games are going to go like. Uh, Tyler, you finished one and two. Jonathan, you finished one and two, and I finished two and one. Mm-hmm. Games this week were at Toronto for their home opener where they got their rings. We obviously lost that game 130 to 122. Then we came back for our home opener against the Mavericks and self-destructed. We lost that game 123 to 116. And then we had a back-to-back where we went and played Houston and lost 126 to 123. Let's go ahead and dive into that Toronto game. That game I felt like was winnable at some points. But ultimately at the end, um, free throws kind of killed us. We didn't really go that way. It didn't really go our way. And uh, Toronto came out. What, what was your What was your thoughts on that game, Jonathan? Yeah, man, it it, it was frustrating uh, often in that Toronto game because it it felt like we were set up for failure there. I think we all picked them to lose that game. Yeah, it we was, all did. Th- we had the ring ceremony, all this big things happening, and you, you get to the game, and and really what happened was some players that. We thought, and we're going to talk about this, but some players that we thought were going to play really well regardless of the situation ended up letting us down that game. So it was it was upsetting to see that we saw some players that we thought we can rely on and in game one just not show up uh, at all. So that was my big take, man. We, we had some really good players from the preseason and from the offseason that got hyped up, and they kind of fell flat in Toronto. Yeah, I feel free throws were probably the story of that game and they were going to get the calls but uh I mean there was a huge disparity in there and Kyle Lowry the chucker himself you know still got to line like 13 or 15 times whatever it was and that to me felt the difference in the game that it, it was tight down the stretch but yeah some people definitely disappointed in uh that game and uh I mean overall it was a well-played game um and I feel like nationwide, you know, teams are like, hey, this team's actually pretty good. And a lot of people expected us to lose, as, as kind of we all did. Um, also, Siaka, man, I, you know, I was kind of hesitant on that contract, but it looks like he could play up to it. Yeah. Van Vliet had a nice game. Oh, yeah, Van Vliet, too. Whew. I mean, they Van Vliet had 34. Siakam had 34. Uh, Lowry had 22. Um but they they went with a five, six, they went with an eight 
personal rotation. That yeah, game. they had a playoff rotation. Yeah, like they they barely played. Uh, they they never went deep into their bench, which is interesting because Toronto was always known as having a deep bench. Yeah. throughout the regular season, so for them to come out uh, game one and play as short as they did, that just showed that they really did not want to lose their home opener post Kawhi. I think they wanted to send the message that says like, look, we are we're still the champions, and you don't want to lose that game one after Kawhi decided to leave you guys. Well, the thing about that game, too, is... Well, Tyler, you can go. No, I was just going to say that felt like a playoff game to me. Like, the way Toronto was playing with their intensity on uh, defense. I mean, obviously, they still gave up 122, but that was the pace we were both playing at. But they matched our pace right away and just kept with it. And they were playing hard the whole uh, 48-plus. So, that's... That That wasn't a... It wasn't a bad game for the Pelicans, though. Mm-mm. If you look at it from the box score, just by like from the box score, we won every quarter but the third quarter. It was a bad third quarter. It was a bad third quarter. Yeah. You know, we won the fourth quarter and forced an overtime. And then we came out in overtime and kind of laid an egg. Yeah. That yeah. was another thing, man. The execution in the last, like, two or three minutes, man, just felt like we were forcing up. And it kind of became a common theme for game two as well, which we'll get into Man, our, our late game execution just felt like a lot of ISO. Felt like a lot of uh, shoot a open three and be the hero. Uh, shoot a quick three. I'm sorry, and be the hero. And that was frustrating to watch, uh, especially from, you know, especially from a standpoint where we understand that we have a young team and a new team that's trying to get used to each other. And it seems like they pieced together enough to win this game, and then to kind of mishandle it late, especially in overtime, was. That was extremely frustrating. Let me ask you a question. So Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, all just coming off of injuries, missed significant time. Conditioning might not be all the way there. Do you think that played a factor going at first game of the season, them going into overtime? Legs got tired? Yeah, I think so. I think so, this first game. You kind of saw it in, in overtime. We just didn't seem like we had as much energy as Toronto did. Um, and again, these are guys who never had as big of an off-season and conditioning program due to injury. So, And, again, that kind of played a common theme throughout game two as well. You saw these guys kind of get tired late. But, yeah, I, I agree with that. You saw the Lakers players coming off an injury not look not look that well, you know, not look not look too uh, upbeat in that, in that final minute or two of the fourth quarter and then into overtime. Yeah, the, and I, kind of, I agree with you there, Jonathan, because I think – and Brandon Ingram kind of said it himself, uh, I think, that night after they interviewed him. But he said shots that they know they can make weren't falling. And I think that just because they didn't realize how tired they were and shots they take every day in practice that they know they could hit uh, just didn't come out as right because they were late, which were tired or, you know, uh, several different fatigue factors that could have been uh, happening to them throughout that game. But, uh, I mean, you saw Ingram show up short on a couple of uh, mid-range jumpers that we've seen him hitting the last uh especially last game um and then uh Lonzo's shot looks so good in the beginning but then it just starts just veering off uh towards the late game so yeah I and, agree with that and again like my big thing from this game man and I'm gonna pick on these two players because these are two players going into this season that I was extremely high on like extremely high on and it's also Drew Holiday and I, I love to hear what y'all said hear about it um which I'll have to say about him. And then, you know, it ends with Naw. Like, this is a player that I ranted and, and, and raved about, about how awesome this kid was and how amazing he's stepped up to the plate in big moments. He took big shots. 
And then game one, he lays this one for 10, three point dud. So those two players, man, every time they had the ball, I was so excited and I was looking forward to it. And every time it just seemed like a negative play happened whenever they had the ball in their hand. I think Nas struggles came from seeing an NBA defense for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You yeah, know, obviously closeouts are a lot quicker. You know, preseason preseason is a, is a decent predication of what's going to happen in the regular season, but teams aren't necessarily playing or game planning for 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 that specific player. Yeah. And I'm sure people have had time to watch Nikhil Alexander-Walker knows that if you give him space, he will knock down an open shot. It was kind of like his homecoming night. I think he might have been a little nervous. I mean, not that he's done anything since then to prove mm-hmm. that, you know, he's he's going to be a consistent player. Um, I'm not knocking a guy. I still think he has a very good chance of being a consistent player. I just think he's starting to – he's got to adjust to NBA closeouts. He's got to understand that, you know, when to pass the ball and, and when – because I've seen him throw some goofy step backs to just throw up a three, and that's not going to work for us, you know. He's going to have to just focus on being an NBA player and being a little less selfish. Yeah, I felt like one of those typical things that we hear all the time where it says he just kind of forcing – yeah. forcing the game and he really needs to let the game come to him because he's so talented the game yeah. will come to him you know I don't think he needs to force the issue I think that we have enough playmakers around us where he can be one of those play executors that David Griffin talked about so badly uh, this all season saying we needed those type of guys so frustrating man I talked I talked him up so much on this podcast and for him to come out and start the season especially the first game this way was it was it, it hit me it hit me deep for sure. Yeah, I'll say with Naw, I, I, I do want to give him time, and he's obviously earned Gentry's confidence since he's pretty much won the spot over uh, Etwan Moore, um, and we've seen him first off the bench over Jackson, so obviously Gentry has a lot of confidence in him. Uh, but at the same time, it does feel like he's still got to get used to NBA defenses. I've seen him be casual with the ball, but yeah, he, he does fall in love with that step back, even though he can make it way more than Drew can. Um, and to segue into that, I have Drew, for the love of God, could stop shooting that step back jumper. He never makes it. Just <laughs> please stop. That's that's it. That's all I got to say on that one. You, you know what? You know what I noticed with Drew Holiday this season? His um his handles seem a little off. How many times did he lose control of the dribble over it's, the last couple? It's of like it, it hit his foot. Yeah. yeah, it was it was ugly. It just seemed like every time he would get in like a close situation, uh, he would lose he would lose dribble like handle of the dribble, and then it would either result in him having to pick up the ball and make and make a hard pass, and or it would ruin the play, or it would result in a turnover. And it's just very Andrew Holiday like. I don't know. We say this every year. He he kind of starts every season like complete ass. And then usually turns into a hero by the end of the season. It's just we're in such a tough conference, and we're playing such so many good teams right out the gate that we don't have time for him. Well, we'll talk about what we have time for. We don't have time yeah. for, but like we, it, it just sucks to see him play so bad right out the gate after all this. Oh, he could possibly be an MVP talk, or he's the leader of this team. If he's the leader of this team, he can't come out and lay eggs like that. And now he's got a knee injury, and you know he's day to day, but. We'll see. We'll see if that even if that hinders him even more. Yeah, yeah and, and I saw. A, oh, I'm sorry. I saw. I, I saw people say that Drew Holiday didn't put those expectations on himself. Oh, that's that, garbage! That, that, I don't want to hear that. That's I, the, I, that's I your abs- expectations. I for absolutely hate that take. 
I hate it. Drew Holiday didn't come out and say, no, no, man. Like, no, no, no. We have a good team. I got a lot of players. I'll be the playmaker. No, dude. We we hyped you up as that dude. Everybody went around. You're, you're in front of the franchise. Um, Every commercial has you in it. Every hype video has you as the leader. David Griffin's calling you the leader, calling you out. Like, you have to step up to the fucking plate, man. And to start the season as much of a dud as you have, we have to call you out on it. Like, we have to put that responsibility on you, Drew. You have to eat crow when you play like this. And hopefully it just hypes him up. Hopefully it galvanizes his play. And hopefully it's motivation for the rest of the year. Yeah, and I think this holiday reminds me of the holiday that was there when we had DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis. Yep. just feels kind of passive. And I don't yep. know if he's just, you know, he, he doesn't, he's not a selfish guy by nature. So I'm sure he wants to share the ball because he has guys who have prestige on his team. You know, a lot of guys that have been there, veterans, you know, he's got J.J. Ingram, guys he's got to share the ball to. Um, and I feel like he's doing that too much again. He's got the green light, so he's got no excuse. He's been told he's the star of this team, and he's still not taking the shots. I mean, at some point, what does that speak to him? Start slow, sure, but if you want to be an MVP or all-star caliber player, you don't start slow. That's that's the whole point. You're consistent all season long, you know, and you got to show that. And honestly, we can talk about the offensive side, but it's the defensive side too. How many times did he uh, take bad jumps or angles or, you know, just almost lazy defense uh, against Toronto? It just – it wasn't good on both sides of the ball for him. Uh, so, I mean, that's been my big takeaway from him. You got to show up, and I just I don't feel he has. And I don't care what title you've been put on, you you got to try to live up to what you can. That's why you're playing. That's why you got paid how much you got paid, you know? Yeah, and what's frustrating is we saw at the end of last season, at the end of the last two seasons, really, like we've seen Drew Holiday dominate on both both sides we've seen him shut down guard after guard as if he was a a, a top tier cornerback in the nfl you know what i'm saying like we this dude has been putting kids on islands and, and and to see him come out and just get man exposed almost for his defense these past two games is, is highly frustrating no matter what he does on the offensive end so let's move on to the next game uh we played the dallas mavericks at home we lost that game 123 to 116, but I cannot tell you, I cannot confirm or deny this, but when someone wasn't in the arena, we were up 41 to 27. Uh-huh. And then when he walked in, yep. the team self destructed. You Dude, bastard. First off, like, I don't know if anybody else out there was caught in the same crap that I was caught in, but I was trying to find a parking spot right off of Poitras, and they had something happen. And I couldn't get to my normal parking lot. So I had to go and try to get around all this shit. By the time that happened, the first quarter was up. And when I'm walking into the arena, there's a huge group of us that were caught in this traffic finally getting into the arena. It was as if they was like just opening the gates again. It was like weird. It was a weird scene to see. Anyway, I'm getting nonstop text messages from these two goons. I'm getting nonstop text messages from my friends who were waiting in the stands for me telling me how great the Pelicans look. The gentry system looks great. We're assisting. I'm hyped up. I get my double crown and coke. I sit down, and it's like I deflated the fucking rum, dude. I didn't, like, I didn't, I didn't understand what was going on. I was like, wait, wait, are we talking about the same team? Like Derek Favors is going off? What's going on here? And then I sit down, and I get my spot. I take my won't bow down shirt, and then they bow down. It was frustrating. 
Yeah. So the first quarter, the Pelicans won 41 to 27. <laughs> the second quarter, they come out and lose 45 to 23. They let fucking Dallas not only do the same thing we did to them, but even better. We couldn't go. We could not guard the pick and roll. Did y'all see that on TV? Because live, yeah. it was like, dude, here goes another pick and roll. The the Doncic, uh, Christos Porzingis pick and roll was yeah. a fucking beast. And if 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 they weren't picking and rolling, they were getting into the lane and just stick throwing it out to the three point line at very easily. Really, was, besides them, nobody else really did anything too spectacular for that team. It, I mean, and then, and then of course the the final shot that kind of put the nail in the coffin was Doncic's fucking bank bank, bank in three. It was just. It, it was just one of those games, like, I, I don't know. I had a bad feeling last week when we were making our picks. I felt like we were going to go 0-3. I felt like the mm-hmm. team did so much to plan around Zion, and then all of a sudden him being like, oh, well, I can't play. My, nis- my meniscus is torn. I felt like the team was going to have to scramble and, and readjust, and especially against a team like Dallas. I, I think Rick Carlisle is a very good coach. I think he made some in-game adjustments that – really fucking killed us and the team also got away from what was working you know yeah and yeah. i think i'm happy that you said that jesse because I, I feel like that's a good way to describe these first three game, games is a scramble like we're scrambling to pick up the pieces and figure out who's gonna take the 35 minutes away from zion what, what, who's gonna be our start we still haven't figured out who the hell our starters are right now who's gonna be the first guy off the bench now that jj reddick's in the lineup Who's going to be our backup point guard? Like, all of these are questions that we have yet to answer. And it seemed like after the Toronto game, we were like, I still don't know the answers to those questions. Yep. After the Dallas game, it was like, well, if the starters play like this, I could see this happening. And that was a question answered. And I think after this last game for Houston, when we talk about it, you'll see that more questions are being answered every game to how this team is going to play and how this team is going to use these players correctly. But you're right, man. Like, something just felt off dude and and with dallas you can tell it was like the the starters figured it out and then man it it just felt like we we could not get a a comfortable feel for each other on the court court after that first quarter fire start without me in attendance and and i think a big portion of that game too is the first quarter we were were going inside Derek favors was actually playing good um offensively and uh, towards, like, the end of the game, we were just settling for really lazy jump shots. And that was a killer. But I think a portion of that was because every time we drove to the rim, Porzingis was sending people shit. And, and that's something we're missing. I didn't realize how, how safe I felt as far as rim, the, like, rim protection went when we had Anthony Davis. As to now, where, like, Derek Favors can't block shit. No. <laughs> I mean, he can't block a motherfucking thing. <laughs> and there's nobody on this team, really. I mean, I think I think our best block rate is from, like, Drew Holiday as a guard. Yeah, and you saw you saw several times our guards get into the rim. I think I saw Drew, Drew Holiday get to the rim and then bail out. Yeah. Because Kristaps was there. Like, yeah, That happened, like, there. twice. Yeah. So I just felt like, you know, we were killing them inside. They they dropped Kristaps down to, yep. the, to protect the paint. And he did exactly that. And then we were just settling for lazy ass jump shots instead of finding a way to pull him out and i think he would have been pulled out if we could have hit some of the fucking open threes but towards the end of the third and fourth quarter i mean everything was just bricking off yeah we the, the crowd was getting antsy at that point too yeah we got real jump shot happy right there uh lonzo took 12 threes um 
was pretty insane. I was a Dallas doubter, but I don't think I am anymore with uh, Luca and Przingis. As long as they stay healthy, they're going to be a pretty good team. Um, I mean, that was just another game where Drew was very unimpressive. Uh, we got way too jump shot happy. Lonzo didn't do too much right there as well. And then, yeah, I just felt like they went inside where wherever they wanted on us we just got ripped open in the paint right there and they just came at us and didn't stop and they weren't scared they weren't scared to go in the paint at all and I think that speaks to your paint protection that you were talking about Jesse it's just you know uh AD despite what where he had some deficiencies he scared people from going into the paint and they didn't seem scared at all of favors uh so that was a little alarming to me yeah and what this is like the one game, and I'm interested to hear uh, your two take on it. This is the one game where I was a little frustrated with Gentry because, like you said, they were they were sending our shit away every time we drove in to the point where we were almost afraid to drive in. So we settled for jump shots, but our best jump shooters didn't play a lot. Like JJ Redick was on the bench, I think, the entire fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, you saw Frank Jackson, who was two for three, played 14 minutes. You saw Melly, who is who we brought in for his shooting, only played 14 minutes. Naw, albeit didn't play great, was two for five from three, and he only played 14 minutes. So it was, just, it was weird to see that we were struggling to get inside on the paint, so we're settling for jump shots, and our three or four best jump shooters barely played. So what ended up happening, the guys who were on the court ended up taking three-point shots, and that was Lonzo Ball, three for 12. That was Josh Hart, one for five. That was uh, Drew Holiday, 0 for three. So, again, I I don't like the Gentry sucks narrative that I've been seeing a lot of lately, but with this Dallas game, it it was hard to watch our best shooters sit on the court while our worst shooters were jacking up shots. So... I know everybody's been told that like Gentry has specified to this team, like, look, you have to shoot. What is it? Um, 30, 40, 40. They want 40 three pointers a game. Mm-hmm. And the team has successfully done that, but not exactly at the best rate. No. So is Gentry on the sidelines selling these guys like, Hey, you need to shoot, you know, 40 fucking three pointers or, or this isn't going to work. I wonder if they're being, you know, pushed to to shoot jumpers. You know, even even if it's even if it's in a bad situation. I wonder if it's just to get comfortable with it. Yeah. Nah, is he is he playing long term chess when we're just thinking checkers right now? Is he just saying, listen, guys, they're giving you the shot, take it, get comfortable with it. If you miss it this game, you're gonna be more comfortable with the next game. I wonder yeah. if that's the case. And I, I think it's just part of the idea of the way Gentry does it. So he he wants it to be freestyle. He wants the players to make their own choices and he's not going to hold them accountable for shooting. You know, I, I doubt Lonzo got told anything for shooting 12 threes that game yeah. um, where other coaches would rip him apart. Uh, so that's just part of Gentry's style. He, he trusts in his players. He believes them. That he, that's what gives them the confidence to shoot the shots that they shoot. Now, I also think the players do that because they feel, you know, uh, Gentry's like, we want to lead the league in pace. We want to be a fa- the fastest team out there. I think that just means like, hey, as soon as you get to the line and you think you got a shot, shoot it when that's not necessarily what he's trying to say. Um, and sometimes I feel like that might be how Lonzo's thinking a little bit. Because um, <laughs> yeah. sometimes I'm just like, uh, I'm just like, what, what is he doing? 
I mean, to, but, uh, to, to Gentry's credit, though, we shot a lot better the second game. I mean, um, yeah. of the back-to-back. We shot a lot better of the second game of the back-to-back, you know? We went, um, well, the, these same guys. Like, Lonzo went 3-12 and 12 against Dallas, and they were probably like, dude, just keep shooting. And then he made 4 for 9 the next game. So maybe mm-hmm. it's working. Maybe we're seeing an uptick. But if we're just focusing on this Dallas game, if he's telling them to shoot 43s, that was definitely an inefficient way to play this game. Yeah, I still think when it comes to Lonzo, I think he needs to tone down on threes just for his own sake and start mm-hmm. driving in the paint. He's got the speed. He's got the explosiveness. If he can't finish, that's okay. But just, I mean, almost like, you know, the best passes in the game did, kind of like Nash, you know, you just go in the paint to open things up around the court. It gets the defense moving, um, and you can look for a, a good outlet pass or, you know, whatever you need um, from there. But he's got to start driving into the paint and quit being so – you know, happy with them threes. How many free throws do you think you guys think Lonzo is averaging right now? A game. Right, two a game. That's exactly right, two. Two, yeah. Two. And yeah, that's what the I was first game, say. he went, what did he go? Uh, I think he went 0 for 2, two huh? He, first game, he went 2 for 2. 2 for 2, Second then game. 0 for 2. Mm-hmm. And then I believe he went uh, 2 for 2. 2 in for the, 2. And, and So he's not shooting it bad. No, no I mean, he's... he's uh, Four for six right now, so he's sixty-seven percent. But with the, the with the preseason, we said that Lonzo needs to get to the hole and shoot some free throws if he wants to see his player efficiency rating go up. And it's not really the case. He's not really forcing the issue down. No, he, he's really not driving inside at all. He's more yeah. or less. If if he has to drive inside, he'll just he'll just give up the ball. Yeah. And, and float around a three point line. I will yeah. say this, man. There were a couple of times on fast breaks when I was like, damn, Lonzo Ball is so good in the fast break. I I feel like we're still to the point where we're not fast breaking enough. And I feel like our we that's something like I felt like transition was gonna be our thing. We have sucked. It's because we don't get the fucking rebound yeah. clean. I mean, that's part of the reason yeah. why too. We're I mean, not getting clean defensive rebounds. In the Dallas game, fast breaks. We were five of ten. We had ten fast break That's opportunities. Terrible. That's fucking horrible. Yeah. And the uh, in the Rockets game, nine fast break opportunities. In the Toronto game, eight fast break opportunities. And that's that's horrible because and we, we're finishing them at a horrible rate. Yeah, and and yeah, you got to think you, you probably take around a hundred shots a game, right? What did what did Griffin say? We wanted to be like fifty percent of those fast break. Are you not even close? It's ten percent fast break, yeah, right? Not even close. Um. So you're right, man. And part of that is, and when you watch these games, we're, we might be giving up 10 offensive rebounds a game. It's somewhere near 10 offensive rebounds a game. And not only that, we know that the the other team knows that we're not good at rebounding, so they're fighting their ass off for every offensive rebound, and it slows off our outlet passes. It slows yep. up our fast breaks. So now, now as soon as we get the rebound, we're, we're fighting our ass off for these rebounds, and it slows off. It slows up our, our fast break opportunities. So if you look at it, Toronto had 16 offensive rebounds. Uh, Dallas had 12. No, no. Toronto, the first game, offensive rebounds had, uh, yeah, they had 16. And then Dallas comes back the next game, and they had uh, 12 offensive rebounds as well. So, like, the offensive rebound rate for our opponents is really high. And, again, it's not the fact that they're only getting offensive rebounds. It's that they're – fighting for it so it slows up our fast breaks and if you had like a guy who could just get the rebound like a rebound machine somebody like like when Anthony Davis was doing that and Boogie Cousins was doing that we can get into our fast breaks really quickly and I think that's when we've seen the best out of Gentry when we can do that right now we're not doing that well at all 
And that's why we're getting a measly nine fast break opportunities, 10 fast break opportunities. Yeah, and that's really a snowball effect that's happening. You know, you're not getting rebounds. You're not going to be able to push the ball. I mean, that's something uh, Lonzo likes to do a lot, as we talked about before the season started. And, I mean, I feel a lot of these problems that we're having right now are kind of the way the roster's constructed. And I know Zion's supposed to just be a piece of this team, according to Gentry and um, Griffin, but... I mean, the more and more you look at the way the team and the weaknesses we have, doesn't it feel like the team's already kind of built around Zion? <laughs> yes, one hundred percent. He can fix a lot of these problems, and I don't. And I know that's not their intention, and I don't think it's anybody's intention. But I mean, it's just stating. It's kind of stating facts. Like, would Derek Favors be getting picked on in the paint if Zion was there? Would we be struggling on the boards if Zion was there, you know, getting 30 minutes plus? Uh, it would definitely would be, be less of a problem, that's for sure. Yeah. Would we be struggling in fast break opportunities? Would we be struggling getting to the paint? Like, I mean, a lot of the, these things that we're talking about, it feels like Zion would fix. And I don't I mean, want to say he's the solution for all of it, but it it's really feels that way. It's kind of crazy. Just think about what we're complaining about right now, right? We're complaining about rebounding. We're complaining mm-hmm. about fast break points. We've yep. we've complained about finishing at the rim, and yep. we've uh, complained. Come and jump shot happy. Yeah, and does does it sound like Zion's good at those things coming out of college? It, it sounds like everything that he was doing in the preseason. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yep. So you know the things that we're complaining about again, like Zion is not. I don't think Zion's going to save it, but like you can't you can't deny the fact that he's going to help those things out at least. Here's the thing. We're not losing these games by much. Mm-hmm. And if you insert him into some of these minutes, he alleviates those problems. I think so. I think so. And then, I, I mean, I know y'all are going to get to the free throw disparity, disparity, but think about the free throws he brings as well. Yeah, you that know? too. I mean, damn, um, good point. That, that's going to be what Jonathan talks about a little later. But Great point, Tyler. Yeah. It, he, he fixes a lot of the holes this team has right now. And as much as this team... I don't care how much they say it, that this kid's not the team's savior. When they built this team, they were like, this kid's going to be our savior. I think so. Because you can't tell me that once we found out we were going to have the number one pick and Griffin made that trade, he didn't look at those three players and go, well, I can see how these three players fit around Zion, so let me go ahead and pull the trigger. Yeah. I think he would have looked for maybe a little bit different of a package if Zion wouldn't have been here. Yeah. And I know we haven't gotten to the third game yet, but I mean – I think it's I think it's safe. This is a good time to say it since we're talking about Zion. When you think about this season, I know we had the playoffs in mind, but let's just like make this pretty clear. At the end of this year, if we have a pretty good indication of who fits well with Zion and who's going to be on this team long term, that is now a successful season for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was going to say, Jonathan. I think you know, I kind of came in. I'm sure a lot of people did. We kind of bought into the hype a little bit. We thought, okay, Zion's out, but we still got some talented pieces. We can still make noise. Um, and while we're staying competitive, we got to keep in mind that playoffs, uh, okay, so we go into the playoffs to do what? To get bounced in the first round? Like, that's not what this season's about. This season, and we have to keep that in mind, who are we partnering with Zion? And I think watching more and more, it's it's – becoming a parent of players who ideally we want to play around them. Now it'd be nice to see them with Zion, but we get to see these players showcase themselves 
um, almost almost audition style on who we want next to him. And some people are starting to jump jump ahead of some people, and I think we'll talk about that later. Yeah, but and that's a that's a good pe- that's a good segue into the people, Houston game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, we would have said we would have loved to see partner with Zion in three or four years. I, I don't know if we're gonna say the same people anymore, or we may. Yeah, but and, and let um, me say th- let me say this: we've gone through this with Anthony Davis, where we Anthony Davis started off the year injured. And we, we, we said this same thing. We were like, well, it gives chance for other players to step up to see who can be the Robin to Anthony Davis's Batman. We've said these things before. And the ideal situation is that Zion plays right now, right? And we figured this out yeah. on the court. But don't think that we're losing these games and it's all for naught. Like, we can look at these games and have a great opportunity to evaluate players. I think that's what Griffin's doing. I think that's what Trajan Langdon's doing. And I think that uh, the more you look at these games, Gentry's doing this as well. And we, we we got a lot of questions answered in this Houston Rockets game, which can be a positive long-term effect. It sucks short-term not having Zion, but I think this Houston game really revealed uh, a lot of things. Jesse? So, Houston game, uh, we lost 126-123. to 123. This overall didn't feel like... I hate saying this because all <laughs> losses suck, right? Like, there, there's... There's no such thing as a good loss, but it didn't feel like a bad loss. Um, it's it's hard to win a game when the team, the opposing team, shoots thirty free throws to your sixteen. It really is. I mean, it's yep. it's it's really unfair how many times the Houston Rockets, specifically James Harden, gets at a free throw line for for nothing. I mean, like th- there's just sometimes where you're like. Come on, man. He didn't even fucking get touched. Yeah. But that game did produce a very highlight moment when he did throw the ball and <laughs> bounce the ball into that, his face. That yeah. was the funniest shit I uh, have yeah. seen in the NBA and we're gonna since use I've that. probably been watching it. We'll cl- we're going to use that quite often, I think, on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, I think definitely. that's a good one to use, yeah. But um, like I said, um, you know, it's hard to win a game when the free throw disparity is that high. Um Brandon Ingram played his fucking mo- out of his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about, I mean, I know you guys were texting me. I, I didn't get a chance to watch the game. Yeah. Like at, like at that moment, but I know you guys were texting me and you were like, yo, max deal now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, he played out of his mind. Uh, I thought Josh Hart in his first start was really good. I thought, I, I think as much shit as I talked about Josh, like I literally said Josh Hart was going to be the odd man out. Looked like the biggest fucking idiot. He's been... Our second best player. He's been phenomenal, yeah, dude. Yeah, he's been phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, Josh Hart was great that game. I, I thought I thought the team played really well. You know, like, there wasn't too many low lights for me in that game. Maybe Derek Favors. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, free throws was a big deal. And and Houston's a good team. I mean, at the end of the day, Houston's yeah. a really, really good basketball team. Um, I mean... I'm looking at the numbers right here. <laughs> James Harden went eight for twenty nine, and Russell Westbrook went nine of seventeen. Yeah, dude, it just seems like the we won everything, but the free throws. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they yeah. both shot in double figures for three for free throws. I mean, it's hard to yeah. beat that, you know, especially when two players are accounting are, are shooting more free throws than our entire fucking team is. 
Yeah, and I think part of the momentum shift, too, is kind of when they put Frank on Westbrook for a minute there, and he was just overwhelmed um, by him, and Westbrook just took him on, like, every time, just drove into the paint on him, and that just kind of uh, snowballed into uh, the free throw contest that it became uh, at the end of the third and fourth quarter uh, there. But, I, I mean, I agree with y'all, and – I think Josh Hart is a player I really want to – Josh Hart and Ingram are players I want to really highlight in that game. But Josh Hart, man, they were talking – like everybody was talking about, okay, we lost Drew for the game, his knee. You know, he's got some soreness from twisting it or whatever in that game before. Uh, who's going to play James Harden now? Who's going to play James Harden now? Well, Josh Hart stepped up, took the role, made that dude look like a doofus on national – on the national level with uh, some new meme stuff, but shut him down and then still put 21 points on him. I mean, 23 points. 23, I'm sorry. Yeah. 23. Um, so, I mean, I was super impressed with Josh Hart. Like, just unbelievably impressed. But, I mean, Ingram still outplayed him, and that's how impressed I was with Ingram. Ingram was just, oh, uh, man. Like, you saw the Gentry rotationally played Ingram different in that game. Um, played him – uh, to get him maximize as much minutes as he can and have him out there with the ball in his hand, and he just he just made things happen. Houston did not have an answer for him whatsoever, and it was great. Uh, I mean, what were y'all thoughts on those two? Yeah, yeah, let's not get it twisted. Brandon Ingram was the best player on the court, and it wasn't even close this game. And yep. we we mentioned this before the podcast, man. He took a lot of mid range uh, shots, and he took it. Uh, he finished well at the rim again. He shot fourteen to twenty two. And when he was confident taking those three-point shots, he started four for four from three-point land. And this reminded me, if, if for you Pelicans fans that remember the Pelicans playing Golden State when we had Drew Holiday on Kevin Durant, it reminded me a lot of Kevin Durant taking that mid-range shot because that's the shot that he can get whenever he wants. And that's what Brandon Ingram reminded me of so much this game. And I was so impressed by it. And selfishly and and thinking about it like this might not be the best way uh but when i saw him take over in the fourth third and fourth quarter i was like this is a guy i can see in a pelicans uniform for a long time yeah and you know he had a very good stat line too 35 points i mean yeah 35 points 15 total rebounds Mm -hmm. 14 defensive but one offensive and he also had five assists and there was a play in that there was a play there was a play on that game where his patience and basketball IQ kind of showed. Not only did he wait for a double team, he held onto the ball, kept quiet, waited for the triple team to come over, yep. and was used his length and his height to see over it, pass out of it, and I think it set up a Josh Hart three. Yep. And, I mean, that's, that's just a beautiful play. I mean, that's, that's what we need. If they're going to triple team him, his height and length is so useful to see over those guys and find the open man. And he knows, like, hey, look, I got two guys on me. There's possibly a third one coming. Somebody is open. And he was able to find an open man. So more of that, for sure. Yeah, and I thought the Dallas game was his coming out game. And then he stepped it up twice as much, in my opinion, yeah. against Houston. So I'm looking forward to it, man. I think this is the beginning. This kid's 22 years old, 23 years old. Um, I think he, he the, the more conditioning he gets, the more he gets used to playing in his system, the more Gentry figures out where to place him and the more that he gets used to being a playmaker because I think that's something else that he can add to his game. You're going to see Brandon Ingram play extremely well this season 
And I think he's going to earn every dollar that he makes next year. Yeah, and to that point, um, kind of with, I guess let's go back to what Griffin says, right? This is Drew Holiday's team. Do you think if David Griffin could say that statement again today, you think he would rethink that and maybe not single-handedly call Drew Holiday out, but talk about a collective and maybe include Brandon Ingram in there? Um, because I, if I'm Gentry, I'm looking hard and heavy at making Ingram the focus point of this offense, you know, even letting him bring the ball up at some points. No, because I think you still have to you still have to send a message to your money guy and your main guy that's been here that sure. hey, you know, like you're you're the focal point of our team. You know, you've been here for a very long time and you're a very good player. So I think I don't think Griffin would change anything. I think, you know, he would still stick with what he said. Um I mean he, he wants to instill this confidence in Drew Holiday because he knows what type of player Drew Holiday can be. Unfortunately, Drew just hasn't been that this season, and Brandon Ingram's been the inverse. Okay, now let's say you guys are Griffin um, or Gentry. Hey, are you are you leaning any kind of way? Do you want to wait on Drew? Do you want to make Ingram the sole focus? Uh, not sole focus, I'm sorry, but probably the main point of focus as far as your scoring goes. It depends on the matchup that night, honestly. Brandon Ingram's going to have a favorable matchup most nights, so mm-hmm. I, I, I like the idea of him coming out, and he, he's been doing this. He's been shooting about 20 shots per game. I think he can still do that, even with the guys returning. And I think that if I'm Gentry, I kind of use this Houston game, and I use the first half of the Dallas game or the first quarter of the Dallas game to really set in motion future plans for Brandon Ingram because I think they played him extremely well. They let him handle the ball a lot. They He set up the yep. offense extremely well. So you're going to see nights where... And, and the good thing about that, and I like that you said that, Tyler, is he can pick and choose when to play Brandon Ingram to maximize his minutes. So if he's ever on the bench, Gentry can play the right guys in the lineup at the time that might be more of a playmaker. That way you're maximizing Brandon Ingram and you're kind of staggering his minutes to maximize what we have off the bench as well, if that makes sense. I don't know if I put that, if I put that well enough or not. But if Brandon Ingram brings all of these intangibles and brings all of this onto the court offensively and his rebounding abilities, then it makes it makes your rotations a lot easier because you're understanding what you're getting out of Brandon Ingram. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. yeah, and I was going to say to that point, uh, I think there was a, at one point in the second half where Ingram was out there with most of the bench. Um, yeah, and that's just, that, that's what I mean. Yeah, I'm happy you said that because that's what I mean. You can put guys out there that might not be the best play executors, and you put that out there with Brandon Ingram, and it ameliorates that problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he played 38 minutes that game. He played, yeah. Yep. yeah. He played the most that, that game, yeah. right? Played the most that game, and uh, yeah, I mean, he deserved every minute. Yeah, and played I, well, I, I, I like that, and I like that. I just like that idea, man. That like, if, if Lonzo's out there. Uh, if Lonzo Ball is on the bench, let's just say, for instance, like in the future, Drew Holiday's on the bench, Zion's on the bench, you're getting these guys rest for later on, and it's just Brandon Ingram there with the backups, I have faith that our offense isn't doing, isn't losing anything because Brandon Ingram's out there. So I like that idea in the future. I'm going to bring up a player's name, and besides maybe the Mavericks game, He's been a little shaky. Um, Kenneridge Williams missed a big three-pointer Yeah, late in that Houston game, but has mainly kind of been non-existent. This is Tyler's guy. Now, 
we're slowly going to start <laughs> shaving down our rotation. Do you see a possibility that he may be the guy that that gets benched? I mean, shit, when I look at it, he played 32 minutes in that Houston game. Uh, he played, what did he play? 18 in the game against Toronto. And, and then he played again 21 against the Mavericks. So, obviously, his minutes are increasing every game. I don't know if that's due to the Drew Holiday injury or something Gentry seeing that he likes. Maybe it's his rebounding. Maybe we're so yeah. Maybe we're so bad at rebounding. We need somebody to actually come down the ball, come down with the ball. But other than that, man, his shooting has been piss poor, terrible. You know, yeah. You know whose minutes would have been good right there? Zion, <laughs> <laughs> Darius Miller. I was gonna say, oh, but yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, dude. The, the reason he's in there is because anybody coming off the bench, um, that is. Not Julia Local for we're gonna be losing rebounding. Like Melly really hasn't shown himself to be a good rebounder so far. No. So if you want another guy out there with length and size, and we're struggling getting these rebounds, Kimrich is the guy. But you're right, dude. We give up so much offensively when he's out there, and we're we're giving him wide open threes, and he's just missing. It's frustrating. So a hot yeah, take, they, a hot take I saw. Somebody was like, I don't understand why Jackson Hayes is on the bench. When you need rebounding. Mm. Yeah, I'll let him know about himself. Yeah, he's uh <laughs> yo, he's he's weak. And he doesn't box out to get his rebounds. He uses his length to go around or over. And that's I can see that being a problem with loose ball files and not to mention his defense is atrocious. Look, Jackson Hayes is not the answer. Jackson Hayes is going to be a really good player in the NBA really soon. Um as soon as next year, let me let me put that in there. Not like I don't next even think week. next year. I think next season he'll he'll start to get like twelve to fifteen minutes. Okay, I think we're like three to five years out. Okay, well I I, I really see we take him eighth overall. I can see this guy being a, a DeAndre Jordan type of player. Yeah, um, even better than that. But guys, he he's literally so skinny and so not filled out yet that he averaged five rebounds per game against college athletes. Imagine him against Clint Capella. He's not coming down with anything. He's not coming down with anything. Like, imagine him against Porzingis, okay? Getting out muscled. Imagine him uh, in Toronto with Marcus Saw. So, like, it's it's not happening this year. He's going to get cleanup minutes when we start to blow teams out, hopefully starting tomorrow. He's going to get, <laughs> he's going to get cleanup minutes, but Hayes is not the answer to anything right now. I hope I'm wrong, but I, I, I can't see it. Yeah, and I mean, that's not to say, you know, Hayes may not even get significant minutes, you know, later in the season um, because he could, the things that he's working on, you know, can happen. I mean, it's more about building his core strength than about putting necessarily on like 30 pounds. Uh, So, I mean, we could see him later in the season. I would hope we'd see him, and if he's not ready by next season, I would start to get worried. Um, But, yeah, Jackson Hayes is definitely not the answer. And back to uh, Kenrich Williams. They are leaving him wide open, and he cannot hit shit. Uh, that's that's all I got to say about that. I mean, he's he's an active player. He's exactly the type of player that, that works right now, I think Gentry feels like, just because he's a non-usage player, and he can feel his impact in the game in other ways. But, man, like, if you're going to take the shot, like, you got to hit some of them. And he did in the Dallas game, but in Houston, it was like, oof. Yeah, he's two for so. seven on the season. It was just, it was just uh, from three-point land. It's just against Houston, the problem was he was out there in crunch minutes. And yeah, they yeah. were leaving him open in crunch time. And we were like, man, and there was one three late if he made it. I think we tie the game. 
and he just it, it, it wasn't even close. Yeah, and to answer Jesse's question, I think Kenrich stays in the lineup until Zion comes back. I think he's pretty much kind of substituting for Zion's minutes, but I think when Zion comes back, I think he would obviously – I think because right now, as far as Gentry sees him, he's playing in a big role. Um, so, I mean, he would technically be the fifth big right there. I mean, because yeah. when Zion comes back, you slot it, the starters back in. Uh, JJ's coming off the bench again. You know, um, a lot of things get posed. So I think Kenrich – is not going to lose his minutes until Zion comes back. I agree. All right, so let's talk most valuable player and least valuable player against Toronto. So the most valuable player is, and we we barely even talked about him, but that game was a beautiful, very efficient, amazing game from Nicola Melli. Yeah, he he stepped yeah. up. He had some big three ball three balls. He led us in plus minus. He shot five for seven from the field, four for five for three point land. He got hot. I was like, oh crap, welcome to America, Nicola Wasn't Melli. scared of the moment at all. Yeah. No. Look, <laughs> he, he came in and gave us that punch we needed. Yeah. And really, when he was in the game and when he went on his little run, I think he made two three pointers in a row at one point. I was like, yo, we got a team, man. We're, we're going to pull this win out in Toronto. Unfortunately, it didn't go that way, but he was the MVP of that game. Least valuable player, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Mm. Yeah. It yeah. hurts me to say feel bad for him for that, too. That was his homecoming night. I'm always excited. I think yeah. he had like 60 people in attendance for him. Yeah. And uh, he shot one of 10. Yeah. And he was missing point blank at the rim. Um, yeah. He one of seven on three-pointers. He just seemed like the moment was a little too big for him. Yeah, I can't. I, I think he wanted so hard to be that difference maker. And he was a difference maker, but in a bad way. Yeah. Uh, you can almost say, I, I don't want to be this hot take-ish, but you can almost say if his minutes went somewhere else, we probably win that game. Yeah, because he was just jacked. It was up. so bad. I, if you give his minutes to, to anybody else, I and think if you even give his Frank, minutes to Frank. Probably Frank, Frank, yeah. I hate to even say this, but I mean, if you give his minutes to Ethan Moore, I think. Yeah, maybe that night. I think you have a, a more positive outcome. Yeah, man, that sucked. To I have was, nine possessions fail it's you can't have that i mean there was there was 10 possessions where he took the shot and one of them went in yeah that's that's not good i mean that's simple mm-hmm. math that's 10 percent for you uh, i'm gonna gentlemen. talk about something interesting with him later on but yeah that's that, that you can't have that happen yeah no next game was the mavericks most valuable player in the mavericks game the only player that looked like he gave a shit the entire time josh hart yep I mean, we're asking for hustle. We're asking for defense. We're asking to make your goddamn open shots. And Josh Hart arguably has been our second best player throughout these first three games. And I think he was the MVP against Dallas. Least valuable? Couldn't have said it any better. Yeah. (laughs) Least valuable. Who's our least valuable player so far? Drew Uh, Holiday. (laughs) He just, man, that was a a terrible game for him. Yeah, he just... (laughs) Man, fuck! What what did he? I mean, it was like two of eleven shooting mm. night. He was he's on he's averaging in box plus minus negative fourteen a game. Jesus! I mean, he is not doing anything positive right now. His per is an eight. <laughs> he that per of an eight, ladies and gentlemen, that's like Kevin Knox territory. You know, like it's that bad. 
Um, and it's not just the stats, it's the eye test. I mean, yeah, you watch just, him out there, he just doesn't look comfortable on offense. And then, like, there's times where he's like, okay, I'm going to take over right here. And he'll get into, like, these weird ISO motions, and it'll just be bad. How many times did he get blocked in that Dallas game? Yeah. I felt like he got blocked, like, two or three times. He couldn't hit a floater. Yeah, I just yeah. dumb the floater shots, wasn't dropping. Just, and then, uh, he, uh, yeah, it was just Has bad. he even hit a three-pointer this season? Oh, that's a good question. He I is feel like one for one. nine. One, one for, for nine. nine. Yeah. I just feel like everything I've watched him shoot from behind the rim has been a step back brick. Yeah. It's just like and it's like a line. That's it's a line drive. It doesn't look good. Yeah. Throw that step back into the sun, please. Just. Uh, I hate to say it. it, man, but is. I don't know. I, I'm. I, he got. I think he got injured early in that Dallas game and fought through it, and yeah. it, it hurt him. But either way, man, mm-hmm. the Toronto game wasn't good for sure. And that Toronto game, and, that last possession, man, when we needed a bucket, when it was a tie ball game, and he dribbles it off of his foot and loses it, embarrassing. Eric Gordon. And that was Eric Gordon. Yeah, like. yep. <laughs> yeah, and I feel Drew's at his best when he's driving into the paint because I feel that that's where he's most comfortable and where he makes his best moves uh, that I can see. Um, but he he's been leading the team in drives, and he's still he's still not playing well. So. I think that game though, he did have a sick Euro step. To the rim. Yeah, no, he did. Yeah, he, he had did like in Toronto too. He, yeah, he had a sick Euro step that went to the rim, and, and and it was nice. But I mean, for the most part, Drew Holiday still has the same tendency. If he can, if he can settle for that same step back jumper instead of going to the rim and maybe accepting a little contact, he's he's gonna do it. I know? hope this injury heals up quickly, man, because I want to see the, I want to I want to see the Josh Hart intensity in Drew. Like yeah, if Drew, yeah. if Drew, he, if, he even acknowledged that he's playing yeah, like an ass. Yeah, like you dude, know? if you have the intensity yep. like Josh Hart has, you're twice as talented as Josh Hart, and Josh Hart is putting up way better numbers than you off of effort yep. alone. So I want to see that out of Drew Holiday. Yeah, and I think that was the most disappointing part for me. Not as much as the offense uh, as the defense. I mean, last year, remember, like the Luca fever was like at an all time high, and he came mm. in. And Drew shut him down. Swatted him at the end, yeah. In this game, Luca went off, and he didn't care who, like, I, I didn't even feel like there was any difference being done to him as far as if Drew was guarding him or somebody else. So that's where I was really disappointed. And um, is, it, because, is it me, or has Drew been getting crossed over a lot this season? I feel like there's yeah. been a couple times where people have hit him with crossovers, and he was just way out there. Yeah. I mean, there was the yeah, dude. Like the Luke, Luca's slow as fuck, but he he he's really good. First yeah. of all, he's shifty. Yeah, but Luca did a, a a very simple crossover and step back, and Drew just gave up on it. Yeah, he, like he just gave up on a step back. Luckily, Luca missed it, but it was it wasn't good defense at all. So moving on to the Rockets game, most valuable player. I mean, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Brandon it's pretty Ingram. obvious, no, but there was no a doubt. there was a there was a good second. Josh Hart was definitely second in that game. But yeah, yep. Brandon Ingram. Almost unstoppable in that game. They should have walked out of there with the fucking W, but, I mean, Brandon, especially if you put up a performance like that, you know, you expect the fucking win. But it was a very good game, and unfortunately, he doesn't get rewarded for his stats. Yeah, man, and listen, I was so nervous about acquiring Brandon Ingram. We all talked about him in the offseason, and Jesse and Tyler were super high on this guy. Clearly, we all saw his talent, but when you hear things like blood clots and surgery and... He can't lift his shoulder, and then he wasn't even cleared for full contact until, like, July or August. You get nervous, man, and it was glad to see – I was glad to see him really come out this game and show the world, really, everything he's capable of is still there. He still has 
full complete control over his body and he really took it to Houston this game and it was it was it was very fun game to watch yeah and I think what was so beautiful about that offensive game is it, and you had mentioned this off the podcast Jonathan but he was kind of like Kevin Durant to where he got to where his automatic shot was and he just kept getting there and there was nothing Houston could do about it um, and the shots he was talking about he knows he could hit he was hitting them in that Houston game um, and then his his just his playmaking was all the way there his pass it, Jesse talked about the one to heart but I think he had one to JJ Redick early in the game that was also pretty nice uh, impacting the game defensively uh, on the boards uh, I mean how many boards is he averaging right now I think uh, like over nine right 9.3 and, I mean, you're talking about a guy that's 185 pounds soaking wet. So, like, the, it's pretty impressive what he's doing right now. And that Rockets game was the statement on a great week he's had. So, Jonathan, three things that have stuck out to you the most. Wait, well, did we do the oh, least valuable least, player? Least valuable player in that game. Yeah, let's let's not skip the least valuable player in this game, Jesse. Yeah, I, yeah, I just we feel like call him out, bro. I, I I compared this dude to Omir Ashik on Twitter. I'm gonna step back. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna step back on this one. And uh, Tyler, tell us about your boy, because uh, we jokingly made fun of Tyler for doing like a 30 minute stat on Derek Fay. <laughs> he did like a th- it was like episode ten. Hey, that wasn't as long as your. Uh, Drew Holiday segment. Let's though. not. Let's no, not, no, no, no. Let's not change the Drew subject. Drew Holiday here. deserves thirty minutes because he's an integral. Part. He's he was supposedly was the MVP of this team. At one but point, you. at one point, Tyler, you hit us with stats I never even heard of before. They were like the OPS SD of the last twenty minutes. You dug so deep into Derek Favors that Derek Favors doesn't even know this much about himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. At one point, you were talking about like his third removed cousin and shit. It was crazy. But no, anyway, hey. so since you were the, the Derek Favor stats guy, let me hear about the, le- the least valuable player uh, against Houston, which was Mr. So, Derek Favors. So look, I, I'm not scared to eat crow on this, but <laughs> Derek Favors has been uh, pretty sh- shit like throughout the uh, whole entire week. Now, there has been like talks about his hamstring might be bothering him. Um, but I mean, until that's like actually confirmed, uh, I got to just say he's healthy and he's just playing like shit. People just aren't scared of him. I feel like his defensive rotations are there. But as far as Jesse says, he's not blocking anything. He's not impacting. He's not changing shots, which is kind of what we need right now. Um, And he just doesn't look like super active on the boards. He did look good in that Dallas game, just running the pick and roll. But as soon as Dallas adjusted, that was it. I don't don't think he's Omir Oshik because I think his touch is a lot better than Omir Oshik. And I think – you know, there's so many different reasons he's not Omir Oshik, but he, he's, it's defense that I'm just worried about with him, and just people are not scared to challenge him at all. And uh, that's that's been pretty apparent in the last two games. And in Houston, he was basically such a non-factor. I don't even think he played in the fourth quarter, or if he did, it wasn't it wasn't very long. So I think I was just uh, I think I was just really upset about like, because I mean, you sold him to me. I, I mean, I thought this guy yeah, was going to come yeah, in. Yeah, no, I sold him to myself. And, um, you know, I think I was just so upset by the way he's been playing that I, I compared him to the worst Pelican player in the history of the franchise. But, no, but I, <laughs> I, I, honestly, Hill. though, really, I think on a nightly basis when the Pelicans play, I receive at least four to five text messages like, why is Derek Favors in the game? At this point, I'd rather see Jaleel. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, offensively, Jaleel just brings so much more. I think we've seen him get into foul trouble a lot these past uh, couple games. Uh, they kind of contributed. Yeah, he fouled out against it, Houston. He fouled out against the last one, and then, uh, you know, against Dallas, he only played, I think, seven minutes or so. Um, and I think he had a, a couple of bad plays there against Dallas uh, where he was forced to go up against Porzingis and forced to go up against some of these more skilled bigs uh, than he is defensively. He's still a little bit of a liability defensively. Hopefully he works on that. He, again, another young guy. He's only 22, 23 years old. But you're right, man. It, it seems like if, if if Derek Favors is injured, if Derek Favors isn't playing this great, um, or if he's playing this poorly, especially against Houston, you would like to see a little bit more minutes early for Jaleel Logafor. But, uh, yeah. He, and honestly, I... Yeah. Yeah, and I I want to see bigger impact on the boards too. Like let's see some offensive rebounds here. Let's let's see some kind of impact. Like that's that's kind of what we need right now in the front court. I get that he and that's why I kind of want to say it's not 100% his fault because he's kind of left alone there. Like if he's got Ingram next to him, there's that they're kind of going at him just by default because there's no one else there. Um, and like I said, if Zion was there, how much would they be going at him? You know, it, it would be a lot more of a staunch defensive lineup as far as the front court goes. But since he's left out there by himself, he's got to handle all the, you know, inside defensive rotations and try to get the boards at the same time. And that can be tiring, especially if he is hurt. But it doesn't excuse like what we're seeing and what we're seeing isn't great. So, so let's talk about our three biggest takeaways from this first week. Um, let's kind of hit them kind of quick. Jonathan, what are your three biggest takeaways? Yeah, so I'll go through this in kind of like a real quick rapid fire type of session right here. Number one is the free throw disparity. Ladies and gentlemen, our opposing uh, teams have shot 92 free throws. We've shot 51. So they're literally a 41 point potential differential there. So that's, that's something to be concerned about in the future. Uh, we got to try our best to prevent these free throws disparity from being this large. Uh, secondly, Brandon Ingram is killing it statistically. He's passing the eye test, advanced stats. This dude, I think, was ranked in the top 10 by NBA Math. If you don't follow him on Twitter, follow them. They rank players overall by stability and project projecting their stats over the course of 10 games. So it's a rotating ranking. But anyway, he's 27.3 points per game, 9.3 rebounds, 4.3 assists, almost two blocks per game. He's shooting 52% from the field and 52% from three-point. Are you kidding me that's amazing and he's an 80 percent free throw shooter so brandon ingram has been across the board amazing he's been a playmaker he's been a shot maker he's everything we uh expected times two in my opinion he's been really good i said he was going to average around 20 points per game this season uh and he's averaging 27 so that's awesome and number three guys we are the one of the deepest teams in the league and while that's good it can also be frustrating i think gentry is going to take a while to really figure this out i trust him to figure this out i trust coach finch to figure this out i don't think gentry or langdon will accept mediocrity out of our lineups so if they don't think they want to see these guys play so if you don't um how can you evaluate a play without them being on the court so we may be upset that some of these guys are getting time and some aren't but we can't give Griffin and Langdon the knowledge they need or this coaching staff the knowledge they need if they aren't on the court. So I will say this. We were the only team that had 12 players average 10 minutes or more in any game. Nobody had more than 10 players average 10 minutes. So 
we have the deepest rotation in the league, and I think that's to gather as much information that will be dwindled down drastically as the season goes on. So those are my three big takeaways. Free throws, Brandon Ingram, and our large 12-man rotation. Tyler, what you got? Uh, so my big takeaways are the first one being the difference between our starters and our bench. Um, I think we had talked about it a little bit in the preseason, but the starters just chemistry-wise don't look there, and that leaked into the season for sure um, as the starters all lead the team in plus-minus differential. But they just they don't look good out there. We've already talked about Drew Holiday. We've already talked about favors, but even J.J. Redick is high on his turnovers as well. But when the bench comes in, I feel like that's the kind of ball that Gentry is playing, and that's been pretty apparent as I think, you know, our bench has is probably one of the best in the league currently, just watching them and one of the best we've had in a while. Um, the second the second thing that sticks out to me as far as uh, takeaway would just be our defensive numbers overall. Uh, we're pretty much bottom five in any major uh, defensive category. I know Jesse wants to highlight on some in particular, but some that, uh, you know, I can highlight on is things that I thought we would be good in is like steals. Uh, we're bottom five in steals. Mm. Uh, obviously, we're bottom five in rebounding um, percentage where it's, 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 it's bad, and that's something we need to fix if we really do want to start winning games. And I think if we do fix defense to where we're at least competent, you'll start to see the wins coming because the offense, even with the struggles, is there. So we really just need to get the defensive figured out. And these are numbers that wouldn't even be skewed by pace. These are numbers that are just affected by just playing terrible defense. Um, and then my third takeaway, uh, I think personally, we already talked about Drew, so I'll actually do uh, Josh Hart instead. Um, Josh Hart has been nothing but short of amazing, and I think we all were kind of low on him mm -hmm. in the preseason. But, man, has he come out with, like, as soon as the spotlight came on in Toronto and since then he's on, come on with the most hustle, most energy, I feel like, out of anybody. Um, he's grabbing boards. He's hitting his open shots. He's not scared of the moment. Um, and he's just playing, he's playing fast and he's playing gentry style. And he's honestly looking more and more like a long-term piece of this team if this is who Josh Hart, you know, truly is. Um, so that was my three biggest takeaways for sure. So for me, my three biggest takeaways were points in the paint. Uh, we've been giving up way too many points in the paint. Uh, we gave up 54 to the Raptors. Or wait, I'm sorry. We gave up 56 to the Raptors. Then we came oh, back to the Mavericks God. and gave up 56 again. Damn. And then we gave Jesus. up 60 to the Rockets. So we're oh, almost averaging God. around like 58. Again, giving up 58 points in the paint a game. And at some point in time, there's going to have to be an adjustment made by Jeff Bizdelic to keep teams out of the paint. I mean, we, or, or at least, at least get it to the mean or the average, you know, like right now, I mean, we're just allowing teams to gut us. I mean, that's not going to bode well. That's not, we're not going to win games if that's what we're doing. Uh, my second big takeaway was, uh, we overhyped. No, the dude is posing a negative PER right now. And I get it's only three games in, but man, we, we really thought this dude was going to play like, we, we thought he was going to be Donovan Mitchell, and right now we're getting <laughs> the opposite of that. Yeah. So that's a little bit on us. I mean, he, he played so well in summer league in preseason, and we just overhyped the dude. I think, it's, I think he's still going to be a good player. I think it's just going to take a little bit more time than we thought. True. And my third thing, you know what? It was Derek Favors, you know, 
but I think I'm going to change it. I think the team decided to hire Jeff Bezdelic a little too late. Yeah. I I think they hmm. should have. I think my big thing is we, we, we took so long to hire a defensive coach, and now he's coming in and trying and and trying to scrap together a system to present to these players to play, and we're seeing that it's not really paying dividends. I think uh, we should have hired somebody a little bit quicker. Maybe I, I guess the team won it, Jeff, and they were willing to wait it out until he made his decision. But ultimately, I think it's costing us on the defensive end. I think defense. I think defensively, we'll get better as the season goes. We'll see a drastic change. Um, but I think it could have been a little bit better if we could have had him in looking and evaluating our players and, and creating a system. Yeah, I think a those traps he, he wants us to run are hurting us too. Yeah, because Luca was passing out of those fucking things like it was nothing. Well, so. with trap, and, and you've seen it successful a couple of times, like with last game with Lonzo getting into the passing lane and, and stealing it. But you're right, Jesse. It, it's a system that probably takes a while to get used to. It, it's probably a system where the players have to understand where each other are on the court. And... Right now, they look so uncomfortable doing it, man. Yeah. So if it is a system that works, it's it's not in place right now. Like, his vision's definitely not being materialized on the court. I agree. So this week, we have Golden State coming up. That's tomorrow night. Then we have Denver Thursday night at home. And then we travel to OKC on Saturday. So let's go ahead and get these uh, predictions in. Jonathan, what's your prediction for this week? Win, loss, win. I think we're better than Golden State. Right? Wow. I think we're better than Golden State right now. I think we're better than Oklahoma. I think Denver is a top three team in the West. What's your thoughts, Tyler? Um, uh, yeah, I'm going to say the same thing. Golden State looks uh, horrendous right now, but that scares me a little bit. That's, that's almost why I didn't want to say it, just because of – they they're getting kind of embarrassed on you know social media and stuff right now so i figure tomorrow they're gonna come out and blow us out or something but i'll say two on one i'll say golden state i say we beat okc i think that uh i think that's a team we can match up uh well against but denver yeah i'll, I'll probably give the win to denver so i'm gonna be the negative guy here mm. yeah, I, go I, ahead. I i think we lose all three games well I, oh I, wow! I think we lose oh, all three. Six to start the season. You don't even want to know where I think our first win comes. I'm going to save is that. It? Oh, we'll save it for the podcast. I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it for later. But I, I don't. Th- Charlotte. Uh, yeah. I think it's going to. It's going to. I think it's going to be a minute before we get our first win. I think we're going to be. There's going to be a time where we're going to be like, fans going to be calling for Genji's job. In this first month, oh yeah, if it gets to that point, it'll you'll definitely hear it. Um, but so what, what does that make us? Oh and what? Oh and eight. Oh and eight. Okay. Okay. And we started a season like that a couple of years ago. Oh and eight. Yeah. And uh, I mean, and can't climb out of that hole. Yeah, I just think with the loss to Zion and adjusting with all these new players and trying to figure out a rotation, I, I think it's going to be a minute before we're able to uh, to lock down our first win. Yeah, it's, it's so it's, so Jesse. I guess saying that, let me ask you this real quick. Do you think we are a uh, a playoff team at all? No, I, I I don't anymore. I don't even think we're top eleven in the West. I, I'm, wow. I'm, yeah. God, it's just man. We said this on the last podcast. It's just so frustrating singing this tune. We we're injured. 
It 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 just We're feels injured. like it feels like same team, different players, yeah. same problems. And I don't know if that's a, if that's because of Gentry, but um, after watching his team, seeing where the holes are, it, barring a trade, a midseason trade or something, I don't think Griffin's gonna. Tra- I don't. I don't think Griffin's gonna make a trade unless unless Drew Holiday just completely plays like ass and Josh Hart continues to play great and he gets offered a couple firsts for Drew Holiday. Uh, I, I don't. I don't see as really making that too big of a swing. Um, I think this season's gonna go very poorly. And then I think after the All-Star break, um, we're going to start figuring some things out. And I think we're going to end on a really good note, but it's going to be a little too little too late. So here's a question. We play, uh, we play 39 games, right, uh, in 2019. Okay. We're already 0-3. I say if Zion – let's just say Zion's out into the New Year's. He should be back before that, but let's just say he, he doesn't play until 2020. The first week of 2020 is back. At 39 games in, which is almost halfway, what do you see our record being? Let's just make it an even 40. At 40 games in, what do you see our record being? Because we have a very tough three months. 15 wins. Okay. So that that would put us at 15 and 25, which actually isn't too bad. 15 wins. It's not that bad as Zion was 12 to 15 wins, yeah. Okay. And I don't, I don't, I, I mean, I think Zion's closer to the twenty games out than the forty. But um, I, I think uh, the, I think the big problem too is our, our first half of the season is a, is a gauntlet too. I mean, the yeah. NBA did us no favors. They're putting us on no. primetime television to get ass whipped by the top elites of the West and the East. Got, I mean, they put us there because we had Zion guys, yeah. like, and now we don't. It's gonna be tough. We're we're getting used to each other. And you know what sucks even more when he comes back. This process starts over. All over again. Yeah. It process starts over. We got to get who's comfortable with Zion now. What rotations work again? Players that play 20 minutes are probably going to be getting 10 minutes. So, guys, I agree with Jesse. We were so optimistic coming into this season. I picked us at, what, 40 wins? 42, yeah, somewhere in there? Yeah. You had us at 49, I think. I think I had 48. A, yeah. did I, I had us pretty high with Zion. I say if Zion starts, I'd still keep that prediction. I think we're under 40 wins, guys. I think I'm going to go with Vegas but and say we're at that 35. Honestly, if, if Zion plays these first three games, I don't I – don't, I, there's a possibility with 3-0. Like, I, I think there's, so. There's, there's yep. portions of the game where, like, he just changes things. And because we don't have that one piece, it, it allows us to lose by 3-1 game, um, an overtime loss that I don't think we, we take. And even oh. the Mavericks game, like, even though that was a little bit further off, like – we're not far. Like we're scoring fucking points. And Zion, it's just a few defensive things that that are that are killing us. That he would he would correct. How fun would it be for Zion to stick Luca too? Exactly. You know. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. And I agree, man. It, it just losing Zion does two things. One, it takes we don't have Zion for the first six weeks. And secondly, when he does come back, we're now uncomfortable with our rotation. So, guys, I really thought we were a forty-five to forty-nine win team. It's going to be. More like a thirty to thirty-five type of win yeah. season. I, so, I think so. And here's a here's a question for y'all. Let's say Zion comes back four to six weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there isn't too much chemistry issues. We'll play the optimist. And you feeling any different about the season at all? Like, let's say Ingram, Hart, Ball are playing the way they've been playing, and Drew plays up to what he knows he's been playing. From what I've and keep in mind, we've been in we've been in games with pretty pretty good teams so 
Now, listen. I mean, if, just playing the optimist. If, if we're here, playing I'm, the... I'm not saying I'm right or wrong. I, I just... Just to give it a different view. Yeah, if we're playing the optimist, Zion comes back. He fills all the holes we just said. Ingram continues his play. Drew Holiday steps up to the plate. Josh Hart is competing for, like, the sixth man of the year award. JJ starts shooting better. Uh, Derek Favors' hamstring is healed. Like, if all these checkbox gets marked, we might be the eight or nine seed. Like, maybe. Maybe. You know what I'm saying? Like it's yeah. even if everything goes perfectly at this point. Even if even if two of those things happen, I still think it bodes well for us. The problem is Drew Holiday isn't playing up to what he's supposed to be. Derek Favors has been a ghost. Zion isn't there. And it's taking a little bit for the team to figure out what they are. We just need like two or three things to swing our way. Yeah. That's it. Like two or three things. We don't no way in hell is all those things going to go our way. But if just a couple of them can, yeah. if Drew Holiday can just play 50% better of what he's been playing, we possibly win some of these games. Yeah, and I think also we need to start playing some bad teams too so it can kind of even out. So I, th- I think you're right, Jesse. The beginning of the schedule doesn't do us no favors, but when we start playing, you know, Charlotte and the Knicks again and, uh, you know, some of the bottom feeders – and look, it, and, and hopefully it'll balance out. And OKC and Golden State are aren't the greatest teams right now, but I just feel like but Golden yeah, State they're not winnable. I just feel yeah, like Golden State has a lot going against them, and I just feel like they're gonna pop. This is gonna be the game that they try yeah. to remind everybody who they are, and we're yeah. gonna come out on the odd end of that. I think we're gonna get our fucking asses handed to us against Denver. Yep, and we're just gonna be so down on ourselves that we drop a game to OKC. Yeah, man. Yeah, just, I, that's how I feel about Golden State. But I, I'm, I hope I the know. Pelicans come out and thrash him. I, I really do. I really do. Um, but I mean, the the good thing is Golden State. We think we're bad in the front court right now. You should check them out in the front court. They are in terrible shape. We should be attacking like crazy tomorrow. And if we don't, I will be mad. Yeah, let's hope Drew plays, man. I want to get him out of this funk, and let's hope we we. I think once we get one win, man, it's under our belt, and hopefully we start realizing what it takes to be successful. But guys, man, I was so optimistic going into the season. The Zion injury really deflated me. Noah turning into Colin's section really deflated me as well. Yeah. So I don't know, man. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be pessimistic. I'm gonna be realistic. I think <laughs> I think these first twenty to thirty games without hopefully it's only twenty games without Zion is gonna be just tough sledding for us, man. Yeah. I think it's just important to remind people, let's just remember this it's about building around Zion and not to forget that and look at it that way and not about making the A seed this season. And if that's the case, I think you'll have more fun with the season overall. Yeah. If if you look at it this way, guys, like if you look at man, let's give these guys minutes across the board to see what we want. I think that that's gonna be a very fun way to look at this team this year. And I hate throwing away the season. We only played three games. I don't want to throw away the season. Like Jesse said, two or three things can go right, and our season's different. But if at the end of the year we have a definitive vision of who we are as a team, we have a uh, perfectly clear future of who's going to be on this squad next to Zion, I would mark this season as successful. Hell, if we make the playoffs in the process, we're going to be really successful. All right, guys, that's the end of this Pelly podcast. Again, thank you for sharing all of our stuff on Twitter and Instagram. We love hearing from you guys. And uh, hopefully the season can turn around from us. Uh, 
like I said, we'll be back next week doing the same kind of roundup and everything like that. But uh, let's see uh, how this how this week plays out. Show me something, Drew. Anything. Favors, I need you. <laughs>